Hello, welcome to Problem Solved. I'm Valerie Bowman, the Assistant Vice President of Process Improvement and Engineering at Unipoint Health Des Moines, and I'm on the Board of Directors for the Society for Health Systems. In this episode, I'll be talking to Victoria Jordan, who is Vice President for Quality and Patient Safety at Emory Healthcare in Atlanta. We'll discuss her journey to a career in healthcare, innovations learned during the COVID-19 pandemic, and the right attributes needed to become an effective healthcare quality leader. Well, Victoria, it is wonderful to meet you in person. I think we've probably passed each other in the night a couple times. I've never got a chance to really talk with you, so I'm really looking forward to asking you some questions. Uh, we've probably seen each other at SHS and at yeah. the ISC conferences occasionally, but yes, good to see you again and, and uh, have a chance to talk with you today. Yeah. I uh, certainly appreciate you put together a podcast a little while ago talking about the tiered huddles that you put together at Emory. And that was right around the time we were working on implementing tiered huddles in my organization. So I had all my team come in and like, listen to Victoria, what do you have to say? (laughs) And it was was great. We took notes and made some comments and changes based on what you had said. But one thing you talked about that just blew us away was this gift that you were given several million dollars. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and the person who donated it? That's just fantastic. Sure. First of all, I'm glad glad it was helpful to you and your team. We we didn't invent anything. We learned it from other organizations too. So I'm glad to, to share and spread the spread the experience. Um, I, we started uh, our lean journey at Emory Healthcare with what we call the Kennedy Initiative. So Jim Kennedy is the chairman of the board for Cox Enterprises, and he was a patient at Emory. It's public knowledge, so I'm not violating HIPAA here to say this, but he came in for um, treatment for prostate cancer. And he was thrilled with his clinical care. He's now cancer-free. But he said that he thought people worked a lot harder than he expected them to, to be able to deliver that care. So he, instead of complaining, gave us $20 million or $25 million for um, improving the care delivery. I said 20 to start with because five went to establish a couple of um, chair positions for the medical school. But the $20 million that remained was for us to use over five years to improve the care delivery. And as we started down that process, we realized pretty quickly that we we're going to need some help to show our leaders how the lean operating system works. We had had an effort in the past that we learned from, but didn't take through the finish line. And so this was an opportunity for us to regroup and have a very thoughtful approach to how we implement a lean operating system. And of course, that started with what is a lean operating system. So we used uh, that money for, uh, I would say, kind of a two-prong approach. We focused on very specific learning lines, four or five learning lines, and by that I really mean service lines. So uh, cardiology, transplant, prostate cancer, and so on. And we we focused on those lines um, in depth, trying to implement the daily huddles and daily management, but also all the other parts of the lean operating system, the process improvement and standard work and gimbal rounding and so on. And then at this at the same time, we had to have the leaders of, you know, the leaders of the service lines report to leaders in the organization. So it was really important that our leadership understand what we were trying to accomplish. 
So we set up some study trips. And the study trip and, um, and the use of the consultant is really where we spent uh, a good bit of the money was bringing in a consultant to support us. Because as you know, it's hard to be a prophet in your own land. So even though we have a lot of folks on staff that are skilled and, and, and experienced in lean operating system, we really needed someone who could come in and do some leader coaching. And that, that really is best done by somebody from the outside. The study trips that we set up were very helpful because our original goal was to introduce our leaders to the concept of a lean operating system. But what it did was it sparked uh, an excitement and an interest and, um, and a desire to spread this effort across all of Emory Healthcare as opposed to just those four service lines. And so that's where we uh, really started what we now call our Empower effort, which is uh, a broader uh, approach to trying to implement a lean operating system. So that's where the huddles came from that, that you heard about was from as we started implementing daily management across the whole system, how we set that up. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me more about the leaders, because this would have been a large change. You had just a great resource in the study trips. Were there other things the leaders were coached on? Did you have to change the reporting structure of individuals to make this work? Uh, no, we didn't change the reporting structure. Um, we 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 probably added a few, um, you know, people who specialized in internal facilitating because over time, what we've tried to do is grow our internal consulting so that we don't have to rely on external consulting forever. So that from that standpoint, there was some growth, but we didn't um, we didn't make any changes to the structure. We had a very supportive leadership. John Lewin um, has since. Um, changed positions, but at the time he was our um, CEO president and um, head of the Emory Health Science Center. And he was very passionate about this and wanted to implement Lean from the minute he came to Emory Healthcare. So we really had a good push from the top. Um, our our uh, current president are, uh, is, um, is actually an industrial engineer, Dane Peterson. He was an IE from uh, Ford Motor Company. So he, of course, gets it. And and then, you know, our quality t- leaders have, have had some experience with this before and really wanted to make it work. So uh, I think everybody saw this as a good opportunity. Our nurse leaders, for sure, thought, you know, we need to eliminate waste and make things easier for people to do and do the right thing. And so we we had really good support, our CEOs as well. All of those folks were, were part of these study trips. And when we went to see how it worked, um, that was really what uh, you know sealed the deal as far as winning everybody over in terms of support. We went to two places, and I think some other places later, but some of the study trips that I went on initially, the one that I was most impressed with was Auto Leave. AutoLeave makes seat belts and airbags in, out in Utah, and they won the Shingo Prize several times. And they um, were very gracious to host us and show us the work that they've been doing on the lean operating system. And what I was most impressed with coming from a healthcare facility was that when you asked anybody at, at AutoLeave what they did there, they said, we saved lives. And it was just phenomenal. And as I learned more about the products that they make, I learned that they actually saved my life and the life of my husband and my son because of airbags that deployed during um, pretty serious automobile accidents. So it was it was just nice to see that pattern and that 
single focus on a true north of saving lives. Yeah. Uh, and I think that resonated well with us in healthcare. One of the reasons we went to a manufacturing facility first as opposed to another hospital was because if you go to a hospital and you're a medical doctor or a nurse, you're looking around seeing uh, all the cool equipment that they've got and things that they're doing differently. And how can we, you know, how can we get that system for us? Whereas if we went to um, manufacturing, we were able to concentrate on just the lean tool and the lean process. And then, then our second study trip was to a hospital where they were implementing it. So then it made that connection, I think, a lot stronger. We went to Seattle Children's um, for part of one of the one of the follow-ups and saw, you know, their one of their areas for um, uh, surgery. I think it was the same day surgery. I don't remember, but at any rate, they you you walk in and there's no waiting room. You, you know, a nurse comes out and meets you, takes you straight back to a room with the parents. The parents stay in one room. The bed goes through to the surgery area. It was very impressive to see. So, um, but that those study trips really had a profound impact. And in fact, we're planning another one now. We're going out to Intermountain uh, virtually to hear about how they've done strategic deployment. Um, properly deploying a strategic plan. As you know, that's usually a challenge for healthcare because we try to work on everything and um, or we might deploy the goals but not the work, right? <laughs> so so I'm excited to hear hear that one. The study trips really had a big impact on our team. That's really interesting and what a great opportunity for people to get to see how these tools and techniques could be applied and were applied in health, you know, in places other than healthcare and then to see how it, you know, how it could manifest in healthcare. You mentioned that your president was formerly an industrial engineer. That just is amazing to me. You know, when I uh, did my master's research, one of the, my, my question was really, given how complex healthcare is and how expensive it is and how we have such terrible quality outcomes, why aren't there more industrial engineers in healthcare? And so I asked a lot of people and got some theories, but I'm curious, since you are, you know, you have a background in industrial engineering, you've seen some of the top leaders in a hospital be industrial engineers. Why do you think there aren't very many industrial engineers? I've seen one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it it is um, unusual and we're very fortunate. In in most healthcare facilities, there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, physician leaders and, and it's unusual to see leaders that aren't physicians first potentially maybe nurses second, but uh, to find industrial engineers in that kind of position is is unusual. So I I count myself really blessed that we have uh, Dane Peterson in that role. For yourself, what was your journey? Did you, you didn't start in healthcare, so how did you make it into the healthcare field? I did not. I um, I worked about 20 years in manufacturing. Um, started off in um, manufacturing facilities and then uh, did some consulting for about nine years. Um, a lot of big corporations, Alcoa and Heiser-Busch, Inland Steel, and um, enjoyed that immensely. I still love manufacturing. It's a lot of fun. Um, but um, then I took off about 10 years to raise my kids when my children were born. I have three three kids. And while I did that, I got my PhD and started working in academia. I actually taught at Auburn for a while. And um, during that time, my sister, who was 39 at the time, diagnosed was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. And she subsequently passed away from uh, complications of a bone marrow transplant. 
And going through that experience with her uh, really changed the way I saw healthcare. Uh, prior to that experience, well, I'll just say in hindsight, I realized she experienced some delayed delay of care, misdiagnosis. She, she experienced a lot of things that uh, I think, you know, could have been done differently in hindsight, uh, but not being as part of healthcare at the time, I, I didn't see those. Um, and when I was in manufacturing, when we would teach Six Sigma, we would always say, just imagine if you're, you know, yes, you have to have standard work, and yes, you have to work towards zero harm or zero defects. Just imagine if you're, if you're surgeon, didn't do that. And then and I get in healthcare and I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> that really wasn't the best example. Um, and so um, that experience, I, I was going through that with my sister at the same time as I was starting to do some local consulting in um, healthcare. And between those two experiences, I really realized how far behind healthcare is from manufacturing in terms of, of quality, safety, um, process improvement. So I felt a real passion to apply my experience and, and, and background to healthcare. I'm very passionate about improving healthcare, reducing uh, errors, mistakes, um, and improving the delivery of care. Um, so I'm just really fortunate to have found that passion uh, and um, to have the opportunity to, to work in healthcare. Worked for nine years with MD Anderson. Vanderbilt for a year, nine years with MD Anderson, and now almost six years at Emory Healthcare. And just really happy to be able to contribute. I, I had to laugh a little bit when you said that you use that example of healthcare because I remember I transitioned from working in manufacturing to healthcare as well. Yeah. And I remember just so clearly thinking, what am I going to work on? They would have the gold standard of standard work, yeah. wouldn't they? Exactly. And then I got here and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so I always joke, it's like, you know, at the time I got into healthcare, well, you know, I had young, young kids and they were probably, you know, some of them were getting close to teenage years and it was the wait, what? <laughs> and that's, that's kind of how I felt like deer in the headlights coming in. So when I hire manufacturers, when I hire engineers now, I really like to hire them with manufacturing experience. I prefer that over someone who's always worked in healthcare or is coming right out of school. Because I think if you haven't worked in manufacturing, you don't have a good concept of what it could look like. So I think that's a really important thing. And then, you know, but it is a difficult transition then when they come into healthcare. So I always try to tell people when they're interviewing, you know, or now it's going to be different. This is not what, you know, we, we've had to build a whole onboarding experience for, for engineers to make sure they understand the differences. And then there are things like HIPAA and Joint Commission and other things that are important for them to know. Um, so it's a different, different industry for sure. Totally different. And one of the things you, you mentioned earlier about auto leave, and I was the other thing that has struck me about working in healthcare was um, I had I used to have a colleague named Dennis, and Dennis had worked for a, an organization that made uh, devices, I guess, for lack of a better word, for the military. And when he explained to people that's where he used to work, they said, oh, so you work for a place that killed people. And he said, no, I work for a place that saved people. Yeah. And so so this whole idea of the perspective of what the organization does was really interesting and fascinating to me because he, he said, no, that's that we, we have a different take on it. And yeah, 
And I think sometimes healthcare, one of the challenges I see right now is, you know, we, we look at healthcare as, well, it's, it's about making you healthy, you know, trying to preserve your health. But really, you know, ultimately we haven't gotten there yet. We're still really just focused on sick care rather than, you know, trying to get to the real root cause and making people healthy. So have you worked on any of those, uh, anything around like ACOs and like trying to shift the focus from trying, instead of, you know, taking care of the sick, instead trying to focus on people just staying well so they don't need hospital care? Um, not, not, I haven't worked on that as much directly as I would like to, um, just because of my current role. But, you know, we do some of that through our um, health network and through our you know, primary care and our clinics. It's difficult, as you mentioned, because unfortunately, we aren't set up that way in the United States to support that. You know, when you've got fee for service, you really, you re- there's really no reimbursement plan for helping people stay healthy. And, and that's a shame. And, and especially given the current staffing shortages and the supply issues and the, and the reimbursement issues. And so I'm not sure how we get out of that, um, but uh, it's certainly a challenge. And, and, but I completely agree that wherever we can focus on keeping people out of the hospital, that's the best way to do it. You know, I think it's tough when you're a person probably like me, where you want quality really starts at the source. And unfortunately, we are fixing the broken widgets (laughs) rather than preventing the widgets from getting broken. That's right. So talk to me a little about COVID. What was your experience through COVID? Um, You know, you had a great team to help facilitate some good processes, but what did that look like? How did your work change? Yeah, COVID hit uh, Emory Healthcare on March 9th, 2020. I remember it. (laughs) I was uh, actually in uh, Alabama at our lake house, and uh, on the way back, I stopped at every hardware store between uh, Alabama and Atlanta to buy face shields and masks and anything I could because I knew we weren't going to be able to get them. And it was just, um, you know, of course, it's a horrible experience. We wish we'd never done it, but um, never had COVID. But we learned a lot from it, and I think we were well positioned um, to start with. We redeployed a lot of folks um, to, you know, to 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 what we were having to focus on at that moment. Um, we took, um, for example, our process. A lot of our process improvement projects did stop because, I mean, you just couldn't you just couldn't do that during that. Uh, but they, but we refocused folks, like in the quality department, to support our uh, supply chain. So we were getting all kinds of um, calls and emails and notifications that somebody's great uncle's cousin's best friend's daughter's ex-husband's brother, you know, knew somebody in China that could get, and boy, did they have a deal for us with, you know, and (laughs) that was, that was really bogging down our buyers. So we spent time, um, trying to chase down some of these leads and find out are they really viable or not and and doing some of that screening for our buyers so that they could concentrate on other things. We set up a, a, a centralized email location where we could route all that. Then we had to work on volunteers. You know, people were, were bringing donations and, and we had to sort them and make sure you could use them because not all masks are the same as you know. And the people were with very good intentions were bringing things that we might not really be able to use. So a lot of work went into that. As things progressed and, and we then had a vaccine and, and, and prior to that, the testing centers, 
our engineers just really hit the ground running on trying to design the most effective process for testing. And we, at one time, were using an old Sears oil change place where you could drive through, you know, and um, and we had an old Coles building that we converted into our vaccination center. And, you know, it was just really incredible to see. And, you know, we were, it, it was, so I think, I think all of those tools really helped us a lot in terms of being able to deploy that. People were getting their, their vaccinations in less than 10 minutes and coming in and out in less than 10 minutes. And they were just thrilled with that. So being able to direct that talent to, to that effort was, was very rewarding for both to us and to our patients. And I think it, um, the, the fact that we had already laid the groundwork in a lean operating system meant that our leaders had the confidence and the trust in the engineers to do that and invited them in as part of that. The huddles were also extremely important uh, during COVID because we had already set up um, huddles at every level of the organization. And the top level, the tier, what we call tier five, goes across all of the hospitals and, and, and clinics and so on. And so because it goes across many different places, um, across Atlanta and Georgia, those were not done in person to begin with anyway. So we, we had already set up a virtual huddle. And so that really made it a lot easier when we needed to do the huddles virtually with COVID. And so I think just the experience that we had in getting started on our lean operating system really, really helped us out during COVID. One of the other things I, I noticed during COVID was it seemed like there was a lot more innovation happening much quicker than oh, yeah, before. For sure. <laughs> so did you is it I often think to myself, why can't we do that on a daily basis? Yeah, right. We all but, said that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it, you know, in those in those moments though, the risk of doing nothing was the worse than the risk of just trying something. Yeah. So did you experience that as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um for a couple of reasons. Um You've probably found, like I have, that healthcare is pretty hierarchical, and you couldn't operate that way in COVID. Uh, people had to be empowered to make decisions quickly and to to find solutions uh, on their own without getting, you know, five levels of approval. And so, I think that was one thing that was different, and people really liked that. And so, we, I think, hopefully, learned some from that and have carried that into the post-COVID era, if we can say that. Telemedicine is another area where we had started down that path, um, and I've forgotten the exact volumes, but it was an order of magnitude that we were able to get in place as we, you know, as we needed to for COVID. So, yeah, a lot of things were very, um, a lot of things came out from an innovation standpoint as a result of, of COVID. I, in fact, learned this is this doesn't help healthcare long term, but I. I learned more about the textile industry in Georgia than I ever thought I would learn because I was trying to find people who could donate, who could sell us the proper material and assemble them in a proper way for um, for PPE, not just masks, but the um, you know scrubs and other things. So it was an interesting experience for all of us. From your perspective, what do you think that we've learned from COVID that will help us in the future, and what do you think? Like I look at telehealth, I think there think there's a great opportunity, but it's fallen by the wayside. Um, well, yeah, I think telehealth is is one thing that 
um, we are continuing to do. So uh, I really like that. And I think patients got a taste for it. So they start to demand it. Mm -hmm. Um, I know personally, my mother is in assisted living and very hard to get around and she has Alzheimer's. And I had to follow up with her pulmonologist on the results of some tests. And they had scheduled an appointment. And I'm like, do I really need to drive to Alabama, take my mom into this appointment for you to tell me the results of the test when she's not going to understand them anyway? They're like, oh, no, we can set that up as telemed. Well, great. You know, <laughs> so I, I do think that as patients got a taste for telemedicine, the, 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 the demand will, will require us to meet to, to meet that with more uh, more innovation. Um, another thing that I think came from it that was really a good lesson was that we can do things virtually, just like this discussion today. You know, we did a little bit of that, but not nearly as much as we do now. And one example of how we used the Zoom methodology uh, to a great advantage is in our clinics. We have over 300 clinics and we don't have that many uh, patient safety managers and infection preventionists and, <laughs> and quality directors to cover all of those. And so in the past, we would try to go out and do, um, you know, rounding and, and uh, uh, mock audits and so on. And you just, there's just no way to get to, you know, you might get to one a year. You know? And so uh, what we found was we, we implemented uh, Duke's model of a, um, of a patient safety liaison in each clinic. And then those liaisons, we trained them all via Zoom, and they meet every week uh, for an hour every week for a Q&A session on a specific topic. And it's been, it's been great because we've, we've really pushed that work into the front line, and we've uh, leveraged the technology to be able to keep it uh, top of mind for people and to answer questions and really get a much larger bang for the buck than we had when we were trying to go out in person and do these visits. So that to me was one of the biggest um, things that we got from the, and of course, working from home has been, has been nice too. Some people, our data analysts, for example, don't really need, although interestingly enough, they're the ones that are, that most want to have the personal contact, which they I know it seems seems uh, contrary <laughs> contra to what we talk about, but but uh, you know they can work from home. Um, our data people who are doing data collection for you know, NISQIP and things like that reporting can do that from home. Um, a lot of people are working hybrid. I gave up my office uh, because I'm either in meetings or I'm visiting the hospitals and the clinics. So I actually think I do more Gimba rounding now than I did when I had an office because I was running from meeting to meeting. Now, if I have meetings all day, I can just set them up on Zoom. I can do that from anywhere. And I'm able to focus time um, more in the hospitals and the clinics, which I think is very worthwhile. Interesting. Well, Victoria, I'm curious to hear about your leadership style. Um, how many people work for you right now? Uh, so I don't know exactly, but I have about 115 in my total department, quality and patient safety. Um, I have about probably nine or 10 direct reports. We just recently made some changes uh, to the way we're structured. When I, um, when I came into Emory, we, we didn't have a very strong reporting structure in quality. People reported kind of in different places. And 
um, we did a restructure and set it up as a central, it's a, I would call it a matrix organization. So we have people that work for the system and then we have people that work at the hospitals and the clinics, but they report into the system. But, but one of the things we did to help improve our systemness, which was one of our goals, was to uh, set up a corporate director for patient safety who works across all the patient safety special managers mm-hmm. and somebody for accreditation who works across and somebody who works for, who, who does uh, like data analytics. And, you know, so we centralized the things that we could like data reporting to CMS, the things that needed to be at the hospitals like patient safety and um, accreditation and process improvement. We located at the hospitals or clinics. But then we went across the system with this, uh, you know, the, the same um, technical expertise mm-hmm. so that we could standardize work, uh, improve training and recruiting, uh, and make sure we had equitable pay across the system and so on. So that's worked pretty well. So that was probably a pretty tough change for some folks. How did you manage that? I mean, did you lose some people? Did people stay? How did how'd that work? Uh, it, was, it was a tough change. Um, I probably wouldn't be able to do it again. You know, I was coming in new and that always helps and people wanted a change. So they were, you know, they were looking for what can we do to be more effective for quality. I did lose some people, but I did, I'll say, I don't think I lost very many that I really wanted to keep because the ones I really wanted to keep were involved in this discussion and change and supported it and saw their place. Um, we have a lot of waste in healthcare, and you know the bottom line is we had some people that weren't really contributing. So yeah, I lost some, but um, I think we're in a better place. Mm-hmm. Not all turnover is bad turnover. Somebody told me once. That's right. That's right. That's right. And how do you lead your direct reports? Well, I don't have time to micromanage. I I don't have time for that. So I hire really good people who know their work. And we set strategic objectives and goals, and we know what we're working towards, and then they do their jobs. And I, it's a pleasure to work with people like that. Um, so I really rely on my team to, 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 do, the, to do the work. <laughs> and in fact, one of the things I'm doing now is changing some of the things. In fact, I was just going over my standard work right before we started this call, looking at all of the meetings I go to. And how can I do a better job of focusing on the strategic objectives around patient safety and so on uh, and look for more innovative things as the next step? Because I, I feel like right now we've, we've got a good uh, base structure for our quality team now. We have a great, great leaders. We have great standard work. Um, we've, uh, we've just implemented EPIC. <laughs> so we went through a process there. And, <laughs> But I think I think we've we've made a lot of progress in the structure that we need and the the progress that we've made so far. And so now I want to start looking towards zero harm and high reliability and and moving a little further into the next steps. Yeah. What do you see as the future challenges for healthcare? You you've been here long enough. You kind of know the lay of the land. What where do you think we need to go to fix some of these problems that we have? Uh, well, that's really complicated, as you can appreciate. Uh, I wish I had the answer. If I had the answer, I would <laughs> be, we would all be in a great place. Healthcare is very complicated. Uh, the regulatory process, I think, hinders us quite a bit. You know, we've had state and joint commission in. They've been making up for lost time after COVID. So we've had them in like 
every week and some mm-hmm. in some cases in two places at one on one day and I identify with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I said, you know, can they just leave us alone and let us improve our processes? Because we spend so many, much time showing them that we yeah, we you know, I get it, but it's it it can be frustrating. So the regulatory side I think keeps us from moving ahead as fast as we would like. Currently staffing issues and supply chain are really are really a, a challenge. And as we talked about before, the whole fee-for-service model uh, doesn't really lend itself well to long-term improvements. So, you know, I think the things that we can do to make a difference are standardizing, uh, standardizing our processes, sustaining gains when we make them, uh, implementing evidence-based practices. You know, these are the nuts and bolts. Uh, but I think that's what we have to do and make sure that we're sustaining them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, we have a lot of people, a lot of smart people who really care about patients and work really hard. And, and I you know, I think we can make tremendous improvements as long as we can stay focused on key items and key, key goals. Mm-hmm. I had a, this will, you'll appreciate this. Um, I, because of my background in academia, I also work a lot with some of the industry advisory boards and some of the graduate schools and so on. And, uh, I had a I, I, I had a graduate student come in one time. This has been I'll say this is at a previous location, but I won't go into much more detail than that. Had a grad student come in and say, "Wow, have you thought about using game theory? We could this would be a really cool application of game theory. We could do this. We could do this. We could do this." And I said, "You know, that sounds really cool, and that would be a really fun." dissertation for you. And I'm sure you could get some great publications, but we really just need to implement standard operating procedures. <laughs> right? yes. so, so to your question, I think, you know, the future of healthcare, wish I had an answer, but I would say that what we can do is identify, implement, and sustain the evidence-based practice and just continue to make incremental and, and, and bigger improvements when we can. And just keep plugging away. Uh, I think that's that's what all of us who who are in quality that's we live a quality mindset of continuous improvement, and and that's that's going to be the key to healthcare as well. Well, Victoria, I appreciate your time today. This has been really great. I'm glad I got a chance to finally talk to you one on one, and certainly learned a lot of insight from you. I appreciate your wisdom. Well, I look forward to seeing you at the next conference and getting to hear your answers to all of these questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Norcross, Georgia. We hope you'll share this and other Problem Solved episodes with your friends and colleagues. Learn more about sponsorship and advertising opportunities, as well as how you can become a member of IISE by visiting podcast.iise.org.